Today's episode of School PR Drive Time is brought to you by Granicus. Welcome to another episode of School PR Drive Time, a podcast produced by NCSPRA. I'm Stacia Harris, a member of the NCSPRA media team, and I'm the Director of Communications for Buncombe County Schools. And I'm Kevin Smith, also on the media team here at the North Carolina School Public Relations Association and the Chief Public Information Officer for Orange County Schools in Hillsborough. In today's episode, we are so excited to speak to a legend in the school PR space. Rick Kaufman is the Executive Director of Community Relations and Emergency Management for Bloomington, Minnesota Public Schools. Rick is a nationally respected consultant and trainer on emergency management and crisis communications, having worked in public schools and emergency management for more than 30 years. Rick is also the 2023 NSPRA President's Award winner. He's been on our guest list here at School PR Drive Time for quite a while, Stacia, because everyone who knows Rick knows that he is truly a trailblazer and a model of all things school PR. He's seen it all, and we are just so excited to have this conversation. We have lots of important information to share today. Let's start the show. Welcome, Rick, to School PR Drive Time. To kick off the show, tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Stacia and Kevin. It's a pleasure to be with you. I always love working and talking with school public relations professionals. And really, I love these podcasts because it's an opportunity to have a conversation about things of interest and, and uh, uh, things that we learn and things that we can share with others to improve you know, individually as well as collectively our profession and, and our professionals. So a little bit about me. So this, I'm in my 30th career working in school public relations. I've worked in three school system or three states, Wisconsin, Colorado, and now Minnesota in five school districts, including the State Department of Education in Wisconsin. Prior to that, I was a journalist out of college, and um, but I felt a need, a calling to really be a, a kind of a servant. Um, I come from a large family that uh, were educators. My father was a career serviceman. He also was a fireman. And so I looked at it something that would give me um, the ability to really serve people. I started as a, uh, a certified emergency medical technician and then started going to school as a paramedic and served on a ambulance service for almost four and a half years before I decided to change careers and, and take what I had learned and move into the education field, which again, having a family of educators, it was sort of a natural progression to go work in schools. But I did, when I did that, I wanted to make a, a point of taking what I had learned and and really being purposeful, not just as a community relations, uh, which I was hired for, but also how do we you know, make schools better? And how do, how do I do that? I'm not a teacher by trade. I'm not a licensed uh, uh and, you know, administrator. So I took what I knew, which was about emergency management and being responsive. And so I started tackling um, school crisis response and how how can we improve to make our schools safer and more secure. Along the way, um, right time, wrong place, or wrong place, right time, I found myself um, at the school district where the Columbine tragedy occurred and arrived on site shortly after that incident occurred provide triage and rescue operations. I didn't even do my job. I was more focused on what I had been trained to do, but that I took those experiences and turned it into then a promise that I made to the victim's families, which was to, how do we improve school safety and security? And how do we improve our ability to communicate to staff and students and parents and caregivers about 
that most important thing of keeping our kids safe. Since then, I've obviously worked with a lot of this, the high profile school incidents, Parkland, Florida, San Bernardino City Unified, Sandy Hook, and even assisted a little bit uh, for Uvalde Public Schools. So all of these, um, uh, it's a higher being, a more wiser being that uh, I turn to for a lot of answers to questions I have. But the question I've just never really wanted to answer is why me? Um, I I was here for a purpose and and um, I've made that life my life's mission. And thank you for sharing that. And you know, for for the audience, we want to talk a little bit about crisis communications. That's obviously core competency for you. But we also do want to talk about leadership in a crisis. So we will touch on both of those as part of this podcast. So let's go ahead and start with crisis communications. Um, um, you you are a consultant. You you train this in the years since Columbine. What have you seen changed and stay the same when it comes to the practice of crisis communication specific to school PR? Well, certainly a tremendous amount in 24 years has changed in our ability to not only communicate in a more timely and efficient manner, sometimes at our own choosing and doing, but a lot of it is because of technology has changed. We did, we were in the infancy of parent notification systems when that occurred. So we didn't have the ability we did do today to do mass broadcast of communication or information in crisis situations. Uh, cell phones certainly were were there, but we certainly didn't have the social media that it, that really drives a lot of the speed with which we need to respond today. So we have become really good students of understanding and adapting to improve our ability and efficiency. And frankly, school districts and really um, you credit school public relations professionals we said 20, 30 years plus ago, how do we create a more discerning public? Because we wanted more parent engagement, right? We wanted more families to be involved in schools. We've done a pretty darn good job of that. And we've, we've created a really discerning public. But be careful what you wish for, right? We have a public now that has served in so many different mediums and the speed with which they can get that information is mind boggling. And unfortunately, good with the bad. With the good information also comes the bad of dealing with trolls and dealing with people that are um, more interested in creating uh, division and harm. So what we've learned is we've, we've really learned to what I call compartmentalizing the importance of communicating in a more timely, efficient manner. And that starts with on the front end of incidents, not necessarily waiting for something to happen. The more we prepare parents and caregivers and our families about what happens when a school is in crisis, dealing with a lots of different things. Today, uh, we got word of a teacher whose daughter was tragically killed uh, riding her bike this weekend. That's a crisis for this school. It's a, a middle school because she's going to be out. And this is this the connection she's having with kids is going to be delayed, so to speak. So those crises are far more um I, I would say they're 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 more common um than we would see with the worst of the worst kind of incidents. So part of it is being purposeful, part of it is understanding your audience and doing what you feel is best, not waiting for permission, so to speak, because our families, our parents and caregivers, they need to be in the know. And the reason is because we know if they don't have the information, they go searching for it. And if we don't control the message and or control that it's coming from us, 
they're going to get it from someone else. And then we lose that credibility, that social capital that's so important for our schools to be successful, not just in the classroom, but with the support we receive from parents in our community. And one uh, follow-up to that, um, we'll have lots of follow-ups to that, but one follow-up is I want to unpack that that just a little bit. Um, certainly an event like Columbine is just a nightmare scenario for a school PR person. Like it, it is the kind of thing that keeps you up at night, not just for the the human toll, but just for the how 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 do you navigate this? How, how how do you help keep your community together and make sure that they know what they know when they need to know it in the face of this very rapidly changing situation? So you definitely discuss a little bit of the tactics we can use in the moment, the tactics we can use in the moment. How do we make sure we are prepared for that crisis well before the crisis even happens? And you definitely touched on a little bit, but I want to I want to really unpack that and talk about how we can be ready now for any crisis that could happen in the future? Great question. And it really starts with what are the likely scenarios we could encounter? And each school district is different. There's commonalities based on geography, based on size, based on are you suburban, exurban, urban, are you rural? All of those things come into play. And so understanding what is it that you likely will face and then having the tools in which to be able to share that information. So what are your mediums? What are the the channels that you will use to communicate to your various different stakeholders? What are the likely scenarios? So we could spend a lot of time, heck, we could spend an entire uh, PR uh, podcast or more trying to identify every potential crisis or incident. The reality is educators spend too much time focusing on the the types of incidents and less about the response. And that goes for school public relations professionals. We can, we can try to understand all of those things that will happen, but the most important thing is focusing on the response. Because if we don't do that, then we spend a lot of time, wasted time and energies. And so it's really important. What are the key points that you want to get across? First and foremost is what's happened based on what information you know, uh, who's involved. So it's kind of like the, the, the what, where, and, and when and sort of the how, never the why, because we can't make sense of these things that happen. So how can we even try to articulate that to our families? So I, I talk about, you know, preparing what we call response statements, something that gives you an opportunity to quickly grab and then you fill in the details based on that incident. And so how would you do that? It comes in practice when you do messaging in general. So taking the time to to talk about what are those more common types of incidents, a a lost child, a student left on a bus, a bus accident, a car accident, you know, loss of a a child, uh, you know, accident to death or a medical emergency, all those kinds of things. You can have those readily available. And then what are those channels that you're going to use? Now, the other most important thing is, is knowing your stakeholders. Um, It's always about staff and parents. We talk about staff being in the know. There's that old adage, take care of the in-house before you take care of the outhouse. It's important that staff know because those are going to be your, your really your voice ambassadors beyond what they're, what people are going to read um, or hear from neighbors or, or social media or your, your whatever messaging you're sending out. So, Staff is important. Parents of the affected school, and particularly what we call victims, victims are the most important. What are we doing to make sure that we are tending to the emotional well-being of our victims' families? Um, That is where uh, I use the analogy, you take a, a calm pond, and when you throw a rock in there, that 
is the epicenter. That's the crisis. And then you have these concentric circles. Those are impact zones. And the farther you are from that impact zone, the less of an impact it's going to have. If you're close to it, your neighboring school or even neighboring school districts, those will have impacts. And so you look at it from a microcosm of your school. Those impacts are parents, staff members, and then the siblings, the other schools, and then the school district as a whole, and then your community, because everybody wants to touch a tragedy in some way, shape, or form, or an incident, because they need information to share with others. So when we're first with the information, even as minuscule as the details are, we begin to shape the message, we begin to shape that social capital that's necessary uh, in a crisis that we will have that support at the end of the day or the end of the week or weeks or months after the incident has been resolved and we return to that new sense of normalcy. Rick, you're talking with such fluency about the way we move in and out of the tools that we use and the mindset and approach. And I know that for if you once you've done this long enough and when you've had your or in the water, so to speak, in, in enough different ways as an EMT, like you mentioned, and as a PIO, and we'll talk about how you bring those mindsets together. Once you've been doing this long enough, a lot of this becomes automatic, but you have been doing this long enough now where you've worked with agencies where NIMS is the norm, right? You you know all about the National Incident Management System and kind of the classic approach to incident command and making sure that everyone does this. And we, we might talk about that for a minute, but we're also in this world where you talked about social media tools and the fact that we're using brand new media mm-hmm. where all of our families and stakeholders find themselves and where they're engaging with us. Can you talk a little bit about how you are, uh, as a consultant and also as a practitioner yourself, how are you blending those approaches, this really classic mindset of NIMS and and working ourselves out you know, from the inside out, but also really modernizing and staying current uh, at this stage in your career and how you're teaching the folks who are just coming up behind us? Yeah, so I think one of the biggest things is first understanding your stakeholders and how do they receive information. And if we do a cookie cutter approach, we're going to be successful or we may not be. So what is it? How are your parents receiving information? Believe it or not, the the neighborhood over the fence conversations are still alive and well. It's just uh, generated through social media and um, those neighborhood uh, chats and things of that nature. So um, how that's sort of been modernized, right, through social media. So part of it is awareness and is understanding your community, understanding your stakeholders, and then what are your tools and how are you using them? And making sure that tool is what's being used. So I know that um, I've had school districts that'll call and say, you know, I'm putting everything out on Instagram or I'm sending everything out on Twitter and I'm getting no response. When the reality is, have you asked your community, what is it and how do they receive their information? And believe it or not, National studies show to to this day that most parents want information via email and sometimes even the good old phone call, voicemail message. So tailoring those, sometimes partnering those uh, messaging is really important. So we kind of grab that shiny object that says, uh, oh, Twitter or Snapchat or Instagram, because that's where all the kids are. Well, that's great if you're going to communicate to the young adults. But if your um, parents and, and your community is operating in a different uh, platform, you you darn well better be at that platform or at least using it. That doesn't, doesn't mean you have to be exclusive, um, but just understand and that if that's the quickest way you're going to get to your largest group of, uh, of people like parents, then that's the place to be. I also question sometimes the use of social media in an emergency in the crisis because we do have those individuals that are commenting and you've all seen them, how you can get sideways in a, in a, you know, in a hot New York minute. 
And that's what Absolutely. happens sometimes. <laughs> so why use a platform that you really, you spend all your time sharing the wonderful, great things you're doing in your district and the achievements of your students and staff, and all of a sudden you have an incident, and now that becomes the epicenter of where the information is. You can't reclaim that great news because it's no longer great news because you've been dealing with this with this crisis. So it's really about understanding your community and and um, and blending those pieces. and. You know, I talk, talk to a lot of, of new to school PR. I've got two brand new people that we're, we're working into our team. And and first of all, I love their energy, love their passion, and love their creativity, and love the fact that they're bringing something that I don't know or I'm, I'm, I'm new to understanding the game. But then it's helping them to prepare how they respond. So taking their youthful experience and youthful ability to connect um, and the old old ways kind of of the tools that we use to communicate, which is really being timely, efficient, and open and honest. As we are talking about preparing for for responding to some sort of crisis, let's talk a little bit about just the importance of drills and tabletop exercises. I know in our school system, we do every other year a remote evacuation drill where we literally evacuate an entire school. And through that process, we and we use different scenarios for the reason for the evacuation, but the actual logistics of moving an entire school building to a second location and reuniting them with their family is a significant undertaking. And it's something that I feel comfortable doing now, both the logistics and the communication, because we've practiced it several summers in a row. So talk to me a little bit about a little bit about just the importance of practicing your procedures and working out the kinks before you're in the middle of the crisis. Well, you answered your own question by the fact that you practice something. So you, what you do, what we do when we do that, we're creating a cultural condition to know what to do when a real situation occurs. That doesn't mean we do the flash and bang, you know, these live action drills. It's a really about trying to understand how people will react. And it's really based on, you know, cutting edge brain research that started shortly after Columbine and really got uh, uh, really pushed through uh, after 9-11. The brain, we all are hardwired for an acute stress response. And so how we respond in a real situation is going to be very different than our drills. But what we try to do by having drills, or even tabletop scenarios, which I'll get to in a second, having that replication is we're creating uh, the brain, we're, we're presetting the brain to begin to identify what it is that it's going to do in that acute stress response. So there's this fallacy that uh, people panic or you know we freeze up, you know the old flight, fright, or, or freeze. Um, that is not true. Yes, there's some of us that do that just because we're so inexperienced in some cases with uh, fear events or high anxiety, high fear events. And so what we're trying to do when we, we talk about doing drills is to create that cultural condition to know what to do by presetting the brain to know what to call on when that happens. When we do those drills with fidelity, that's the most important thing that we do. When you do a, a drill to remove everybody from the school, the beauty is that you learned what worked and what didn't work. You also learned what challenges, I call them aha moments. When we do a, we have an incident, we do a, a hot wash and real quick debrief and I say what worked, what didn't, and what was our aha moments, those things that challenged us that we never anticipated. So those are really important. Now, when we talk about the uh, tabletop, that's the best learning because it's the least um, 
taxing on the brain in terms of fear and anxiety. Because even when we do drills, some of us are sort of preconditioned just to, you know, I got to make this right. I got to make this right. Um, and you'll see that with your staff, if you view those those uh, evacuation, even shelter in place or lockdown drills. But tabletop scenarios take away that anxiety and allow your teams to really understand what it is we do. So it's not only a, a teachable moment, but it's an incredible learning opportunity for your, for your staff as well as ourselves because we learn from those too. Phenomenal. And I do want to throw in the importance and some value, tons of value that I've received is working with your partner organizations like law enforcement, fire, county emergency response folks. Get to know them and their procedures before the emergency happens because knowing knowing kind of what they do and what they're expecting of you takes a huge weight off as far as being able to prepare and hopefully helping to reduce that anxiety. Really, and that's a great, great point. I can't underscore how important that is. And, and Kevin talked previously about the National Incident Management System and the Incident Command System. Police, um, our law enforcement, our what I call life safety partners, EMS, police and fire, they will talk a different language. They have other protocols and procedures. And the more we understand what they will do when it impacts our schools, the better prepared we are as well. They have a job to do. We have a job to do. Understanding their language and, and understanding what they are going to do and what they expect out of us makes it not seamless because no crisis is that but makes those really rough waters a bit smoother because those multiple agencies that are responding now understand what it is that we do. Because I've often said our life safety partners and sometimes many of our parents don't understand what happens in the school and what is staff doing and why isn't it, why aren't they answering the phone? I'm calling them and they're not answering because that secretary or that office personnel person is doing what he or she has been trained to do, which is to protect your child and preserve the sanctity of life and, and property of that facility. If they were to answer your call, then there's going to be a hundred or more calls that they're also answering too. And we want them focused on your child at that moment, at that point in time. Rick, as you talked about the feelings of the different agencies we're working with and the folks that we're serving, I know we're gonna have a lot more to talk about. We are just getting this conversation started. And after the break, I know we're going to pivot to talk more about embracing those leadership roles and our awareness of both ourselves and the people that we're working alongside and serving. Not something that we're looking for. This leadership is something that comes to us and and you have a lot to share on that. So stay with us, everybody. Stacia, Rick, we're having a great time. And thanks for joining us here on School PR Drive Time. Today's show is sponsored by Granicus, bringing organizations closer to the people they serve. Engagement HQ by Granicus is the world's leading community engagement platform, purpose-built to move beyond the vocal minority. Engage parents, teachers, business partners, and the community at large through courageous questions and meaningful answers, turning community input into valuable insights and reducing the time to a decision. Learn more about Engagement HQ at granicus.com. Welcome back, everyone. We'd like to reintroduce Rick Kaufman. And Rick, you brought up so many things that we have to keep unpacking and hopefully bring down to earth for everybody listening to us. We're going to try to operationalize some of the things that we've talked about. As leaders, we're often asked to wear multiple hats. And you talked about being a leader, both in the life safety realm as an EMT and paramedic, and 
blending that, joining it in kind of a, a single approach with your work as a public information officer. And that involves a lot of awareness of the people that we work with and your very particular role at a point in time and at a place. So what have you learned about how these two sides inside of you and these two different sides of incident response work together? You've been in situations where it went really well and also where you took away a lot of hard learnings. What can you tell us about those times? Yeah, so again, we have a responsibility to our community, to our parents and to our students and staff. And so that's the first and foremost. Um, we also need to better understand when we have incidents, um, who's impacted, not uh, just the families and our staff members, but impact being a much broader perspective. And then so with that impact is that's going to bring in those life safety partners. So understanding what their roles and responsibilities are and how that we work together to make sure that we're not usurping the responsibility that we have as much as their responsibility. And I'll tell you a quick story. Uh, in the days after Columbine, not too far removed from the incident, we were clashing with law enforcement because they were attempting to respond to questions that really was outside their, their responsibility or purview. And at the same time, we were trying to play detectives, right? Give out information that we were hearing. And that became problematic because um, that just was not going to sustain itself. And we needed that relationship. So we had what my father used to tell me and my two brothers, when we kind of went at it. We're going to have a come to Jesus meeting. And we had a sit down conversation with leaders and say, look, We'll stay within our lane, you stay within your lane, and together we'll work um, to the betterment of our community because this is this is important for the community, but also for all of us that live and work here, um, even though it was a fairly large community. So operationalizing in our even our day-to-day -day is understanding what does instruction do? What is, you know, what does finance do? All those kinds of things that we're interacting. It doesn't necessarily have to be a crisis, understanding what others are doing. And by the way, when we do that, we're sharing what we do so we build that common understanding of the importance and value we have to the organization. Rick, I hear what you're saying. And that value in terms of the time building the relationships as we're going to drill down and try to make it as concrete as possible, help help a new practitioner or even a mid-career practitioner who's thinking, how can I really bring this to another level in my district and in my community? Um, when is the best time to bring those agencies together? Uh, I know that you've done a lot in Bloomington and some other places where you've been. Uh, you obviously need time to debrief what you just described as kind of the hard part where the where the gears were grinding uh, after certain crisis events. We need time to debrief. We need time to do after action. We need time to rebuild after difficult times. So when do you bring folks together and how do you fit that into your plan for the year? Well, it really, again, it starts before those incidents occur. So each year, we pull uh, we have a life safety partners meet and greet with all of our principals and district leaders um, before the school year starts and we we bring in law enforcement and fire leaders school liaison officers and EMS because we want the paramedics to know where our facilities are and how we will interact with them in those kinds of emergencies whether it's medical or or something that's a criminal nature or something like uh, that requires a fire response that opportunity for our leaders to connect with not only leaders of those life safety partners, but rank and file personnel who are they're most likely going to see the deputy commanders and and deputy chiefs and even the sergeants and 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 the and the like, and they get a chance to see our principals and our district leaders in a different a different way. That synergy, that hour long meeting, it, it goes so far to build the relationships that we get throughout the school year that I have first name basis and phone numbers with people I can call for 
what I call background information on a situation that's involving schools to better prepare my leader. So, you know, the old adage, kindergarten teachers like surprises, superintendents don't. That relation, those relationships that we build over time is incredible. I tell you guys that um, I know the police and EMS and fire can call me 24 hours a day and they know that I'm going to answer. And, and conversely, I know they will do the same if we need them. So it all starts at the front and do a ride along. I mean, talk about getting to know what the work is of our police and fire and EMS. Do a ride along and understand that. And by the way, when you're doing that, Take the time to talk about what you do, what your role is. Man, it just humanizes the work that we do because when they often say, well, what do you do in schools? And I'm a school public relations person. Oh, yeah, you just tell them all the good things. No, let me tell you about what we really do. You know, so you build relationships. It's all about relationships. So then when you, you have those relationships, it is easier when the response occurs. And then afterwards, when you're collectively trying to debrief, you bring them into the table to tell us, what did you guys see? How, how, you know, what did you learn and how do we then can improve upon that? And by the way, don't be afraid for them to be a bit critical of you. And if they give you permission to do so, be critical of them as well in a very professional manner. Excellent. And, and the underpinning of all of this is leadership and utilizing those leadership skills when it's time. And, and as, and as uh, to borrow your words, to pick up the mantle of leadership when when you need to. Talk to me a little bit about the times in your career where you found yourself in these moments where you've had to take on this crucial leadership role. What was this like for you? And and looking back on it, maybe what would you have done differently and what would you have done the same? Well, I think, you know, the leadership when I was hired for the my first school public relations position, um, I knew that I was a leader. I was a one person shop. So it, I, it was mine to kind of craft and create and mold. And so I went to uh, my uh, superintendent then said, look, I want you to spend your first week with two people that have been in the profession a long time in the state of Wisconsin and, and shadow them for two or three days. And I did. And um, it was a it was an incredible experience and one that I still hold near and dear to my heart today because it shaped who I was. And, and in, in addition, to all those other things I've learned over time. You know, I, I, I've often likened it to the fact that it's, it's someone said, how did you know what to do or how do you know what to do to be a leader? Um, it's cardiac assessment. It's what's right in the heart and mind with a little tinge of intuition. The heart is the, the, the mind is what the, what we've learned kind of being book smarts. We learn through life from our parents, our caregivers, what we learn in school, what we learn from friends and, and, and siblings, the heart, are our own personal experiences, the good, bad, and the ugly at times. And those experiences help shape us to be who we are. So you kind you combine those together, that's cardiac assessment. What is right in the head with the knowledge and the experiences of the heart and the intuition, which is our gut, that is our personal communication, telling us how to be aware of our surroundings, be aware of, of where we are, who we are, and who we interact. That That is part of leadership, is listening to oneself and listening to others and modeling those leaders that are out there that really have come before us. I, I said this summer when I accepted the award, the award that I've stood on the shoulders of some of the greatest school PR giants um, and now stand side by side by, by some of those that have been in the profession a very long time and others that are coming up because I'm learning just along with the, the, the newbies, if you will, as the mid-career and those that have been standing on shoulders for so many years. 
Rick, you totally took us there. You went into the heart, which is an area where I wanted us to go. And I, I knew you would go there because of the work that you've done. And, and hearing you talk about situational awareness on the personal level, uh, it reminds me that in the first half of today's show, you were talking about kind of the fear and anxiety and how we're really here in so many ways to help wick away that energy. On the one hand, people see us as we're just good news agents and bringing, and in reality, we all know in this space and anybody listening in knows that much more is involved in that. And it's the relationships and the strength of those relationships, taking care of ourselves, taking care of the people that we are serving and taking care of the people alongside whom we are serving is so much of what you've just been describing. You're, you kind of talked about honoring our agency partners that we work with and bringing those approaches together inside of ourselves. Talk to me about that. Talk to me about what you've done or what you've learned, best practices, or where you want to go as this lifelong learner in terms of the why and the how of honoring the person, the person involved in this and the people that we're with. You know, again, all of us are are, are creatures of our own um, environments. And so each of us will approach things very differently. Um I think the one of the most important things is we listen to our own our own self sometimes too in deep reflections or if if one is 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 moved to prayer or one is moved to just to meditate and and think about what it is and where you are. You know, when you're in the midst of a of emergency or a crisis, if part of that is you really set all those aside because being a leader is being present and at the moment and having a clear, as clear as you can, judgment to make those really difficult decisions um, and connecting with people who are really grieving or really Im impacted by that situation. So uh, I can only speak for myself and, and share that if part of that is just putting those aside until a moment in time when I can find that reflection and break down or um, and build myself back up, but but also to be, be very present in, in, in where I'm at. So I really do think that we've learned a tremendous amount in this profession, as many professions that are really stressed beyond the core of what we probably thought we were getting into. And that is, we really have to listen to ourselves and take care of ourselves. So as I shared earlier um, with you sort of off, off uh, as we were preparing for this, I, I found myself uh, reaching that uh, PTSD moment in life that I knew was coming. I had seen signs, I knew it was gonna, it was gonna occur. And to take that, that time and, and uh, um, not drawn it with, you know, the substances and, and or alcohol, things of that nature that I, that were going to only be destructive and embrace it as hard as it was. And that was to say, you got to take a break. And so I took a summer sabbatical and I, I literally stepped away from work. Um, I think I came into the office twice and both times I carried a mask saying, this is not Rick Kaufman because I'm not, I was picking up some things. Um, but <laughs> the reality is I had to immerse myself um, in in what Rick Kaufman and what I the advice I would for all those watching and listening is who are you and what are you when you're not at work and be that person, whether it's being a father or a spouse, um, whether it's golfing or reading, whatever, be that person and enjoy that time. And that's what I did for uh, three, almost three months. And from that, it was just I never, when I came back to where people said, what was it like? I said, I don't, I don't know what I was expecting going in, but I certainly never expected what that did to me. And, and uh, 
I'm, I'm ready now for the next crisis. I mean, I say that somewhat facetiously. The reality is, is that if we do it altruistically and we do it with really a focus on ourselves, we're going to be better for it. Thank you so much for sharing that. I know um, the whole the world of of hashtag K twelve PR well is 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 you know still a thing, especially in this day and age. So thank you so much for sharing that story with us. So as we are beginning to wrap up this half of our conversation, I do want to put our, ourselves in the shoes of PR folks who maybe are just beginning. They're one man band. This is their first year, as well as PR folks who maybe have been in it for a while, but they've never experienced a crisis and navigated a crisis. And we're here talking about leadership and talking about caring for others. And and it's one thing to talk about it, but how do we, or, or what advice would you give these um, people who are listening who who may not feel they're ready to take up the mantle of leadership? You know, that's a that's a great statement in and of itself is because I don't think any of us are, will, will ever be ready um, until we experience it. Um, and that's not a knock and that's not a negative on the person. So part of it is, you know, do what we do now and immerse yourself with that networking in our profession through our our colleagues in our states and nationally, um, and then you know become become a student again in read and 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 ask questions. I mean, I this this profession has just it's a, such a wonderful profession um, for all of us. I don't care how many years you've been in it because you can still pick up the phone and call someone and just bounce an idea off them or or get advice. So become a student again um, and remember what it was like when you were a student and how you immersed yourself in the work, especially that what you loved. And I, I would believe that everybody is doing this work is doing it because they love to do it. And so, and then be, be graceful to yourself, give yourself grace as you learn that you're going to make mistakes. The two new people that I'm working into my department, as I said, I expect you to make mistakes. And I, and that's not a negative. I expect that your mistakes, they are learning, they're learning opportunities. So take risks. I'm not going to fault you. I'm not going to terminate you. I'm going to help guide you. And we as leaders, if we can do that with our, our colleagues, um, helping them through that, um, that gives them the courage. And really, I believe the ability to take those risks, knowing that it might be a mistake. You're going to swing for the fences and you may only hit a single, but at least you swung the bat, right? You got it in motion. And so I think of it from that perspective is that take the risks and learn from it and uh, be willing, be willing to, under, to to listen to yourself. And before I turn it over, Kevin, I do want to throw in one last thought. Leadership is a skill. It is not a title. It is not a position in the org chart. So if whoever's listening, if if you're not a quote unquote director or a member of the cabinet, it doesn't mean that you can't practice and excel at leadership. Because uh, again, uh, as, as Rick mentioned, is all about practicing and putting yourself out there and building that confidence. That's what I'm hearing you talk about, Rick, is like leaning into this sense of collegiality and really building community so that what you put in will always be there, not just for yourself, but someone coming after you. And so as we're as we're coming close to the end, obviously, we want to mention you and congratulations, just shout out once more for being honored with the Ensper President's Award this year. I think we've heard a lot from you about what leadership feels like, but if you if there's something that you think people could take away and that if this is a gift to the organization and to all of us and our colleagues as much as it was recognizing you, what do you want people to take away and learn and apply as uh, as a way of of you know t- taking the difference and and the inspiration and really starting to impact the people that we work with. Yeah, I mean, again, I'll go back to the story that I shared. Is that my father um, was a career serviceman, and at a point in time, shortly before he passed away at a young age, I 
I was, uh, he, he shared with me, he said, uh, you know, you have a mantle of responsibility that'll come your way and you have two choices to pick it up and carry it or leave it for, for someone else. And I really didn't understand the meaning of those words until, you know, some 24 years later when I was faced with that unimaginable task that I understood the reality is I needed to pick up the, the mantle of responsibility of which I did when I agreed to lead that school and community in a recovery and healing effort. But I think all of us, we never set out to be leaders. Instead, we set out to make a difference. I, I made a promise on that day to help all of the families understand and ultimately that we would create a better world for our kids. And that was to make schools safer. So I never set out to make my life's work about a title, about awards, uh, or about the role, or even to sit at the, the cabinet table but to set goals that would quantify the difference that I wish to make in people's lives. And so throughout my 30 plus year career, I approached that work as a servant leader, one that was uh, one with self-mastery and self-discipline of serving others and uplifting my colleagues and my superiors and my teammates. Because as I share, servant leadership isn't incumbent upon a person's personality, it's incumbent upon their character. It requires us, it doesn't require you to be an extrovert, and it doesn't require holding that executive position that I often hear about or a seat at the management table, because I've often said we're, we're, what is often served up at that table is not what we envisioned or expected. In fact, it's quite underwhelming at times. So the key is simply leading from where you are, no matter your title or responsibility, allow yourself to experience fully every step of your journey, both the joy and the pain, and when we embrace that servant leadership, we invite others to dream big and to walk beside us. And that's the most important thing because we'll never walk alone. We never should walk so far ahead of our teammates or our colleagues that no one will see us or hear us or understand what it is that we're really doing. Demonstrate humility, extend compassion, empathy, and always, always forgiveness when it's warranted. And you know that you're doing what you're meant to do when you never stop to improve and you never stop growing, you never stop serving others, and you never stop seeing the joy in what you do. So everything we do today is predicated on the future. I'm going to be leaving the profession in a number of years uh, sooner than later. <laughs> and I know that the profession is in a great place because the network of professionals that came before me, that walked beside me and what we are leaving for the next generation. And I'm excited for that next generation. And with that, we'll end the conversation there. Rick Kaufman, 2023 NSPR President's Award winner and the Executive Director of Community Relations and Emergency Management for Bloomington, Minnesota Public Schools. Thank you for joining us on School PR Drive Time today. And thank you for being a part of this engaging and enlightening conversation. Please take a moment to rate this podcast with five stars, and please take a moment to share this podcast with your colleagues and friends. This helps us make sure School PR Drive Time remains a relevant and helpful tool for school PR practitioners everywhere. Thanks to Granicus for their support of School PR Drive Time.